Our New Testament reading comes from Revelation 21, 1 through 5a. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading comes from John 11, 17 through 44. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me?
Our God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight this morning. You are our rock, you are our redeemer, and you are the hope of the world. So would you meet us with that hope, we pray right now, in Jesus' name, amen. So normally, when we do a baptism, we pull out the prayers of the people on the backside of the service just because it's just too much, you know? We didn't want to do that today. We wanted to leave plenty of space for the prayers of the people. And we wanted to add a song. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Blessed are those who mourn. That's our topic today as we continue working our way through this series that's based on the guide by Kate Bowler from Duke Divinity, where bless the Lent we actually have. Um, we've done others throughout the, throughout the week, right, or throughout this, the, this Lenten season, and blessed are the curious, or blessed are the imperfect, blessed are those who suffer. Unlike those Lenten Beatitudes that really kind of originate with Kate Bowler and her team, this one, blessed are those who mourn, comes right from the mouth of Jesus. That's right there in Matthew chapter 5 as part of his opening of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And if you've ever been a mourner who has needed comforting, you might think, well, I would probably, I might trade back some of the comfort if you would spare me the grief that occasioned my receiving it, right? It's not necessarily one of those things where it's the blessing of the mourning is apparent all the time just because we experience comfort in the midst of it. But part of the theme of this Lenten series that we're getting at is not that the suffering or the mourning or the imperfection or any of, the, any of these other things that we've experienced God's blessing in, it's not that those things in and of themselves are the blessing or are what is good necessarily. It's that these are things that are inevitable about our lives. These are things that are unavoidably true of our human experience. And the blessing of God for us is true and powerful even in those places too. And so in this moment of blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It's not in contrast to like, blessed are those who mourn more than those who don't mourn or something like that. But it's recognizing that mourning is something that each and every one of us will do because we experience loss. Some of you have experienced profound loss already in your life. We all have uh, at one level or another. Some of you, I know your stories and and it's Job-like and seemingly unfair at times. But the point here, as Jesus tells us, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. It is part of this notion of seeing through new eyes where we begin to see the world and see our lives, not just through these human eyes where we look upon our circumstances and reason up from them about whether we are blessed or not, but rather Jesus invites us to look through eyes of faith on our own lives, to see ourselves as God sees us to see our circumstances as attached to the promise of God, to see our inhabiting of those circumstances as attached to the presence of God who is with us in Jesus, who's with us by his spirit. And so that when we find ourselves in situations of mourning, in situations of grief, when we find ourselves experiencing loss inside of this world where such experience is unavoidable, the promise of God is that we can know the blessing of God 
in that space too. And the good news for you and for me in Jesus is that our mourning, our grief, our loss, these things are not signs of God's absence. These things are not signs of God's displeasure. These things are not signs that God has forgotten or doesn't care or has abandoned us. But rather, in our mourning, in our grief, in our loss, there's an aspect of the fellowship that we have with Christ that we come to know in new and powerful ways. And there's, a, there's something about coming to know Jesus as one who grieves with us that allows us to know something of God that we wouldn't know otherwise. And we have this story here from John chapter 11 um, that is a beautiful story of how Jesus meets Martha and then Mary and then Lazarus in their situations. And it's a powerfully moving story, I think partly because as we've reflected on this question a lot, what is God like? And the answer that we wanna keep coming back to is God is like Jesus, right? That how do you get to know what God is like? You don't just start with your imagination. You don't just reason up from your circumstances. You don't just project from what you assume God must be like, but rather if we want to know what God is like, we have to actually start with what God shows us and what God shows us clearer than anywhere else about who he is and what he's like is in Jesus. The one that the writer of Hebrews calls the exact imprint of his nature or the one the apostle Paul in his letter to the Colossians calls the image of the invisible God. Or to use Jesus' own words, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is God like? God is like Jesus. And as we get to know Jesus, in these incredibly personal, raw moments, we come to know something new, something profound about the heart of God. So would you just look with me at this story and just notice how Jesus shows up as a comforter and a friend. So the scene is Lazarus has died. It's been a few days. And his sisters are mourning. And Jesus is friends with them, right? We've, we've met them before. Jesus now comes after a bit of a delay and he arrives at the scene where they're all mourning. And Martha comes to him when she knows that he's coming and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. See, Jesus has done some healing things already, right? We've seen the power of Jesus displayed in healing miracles that he's done. So if, you, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And she says, yeah, 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 I know, I know. In the end, in the resurrection, that's what we believe. I know he will. And Jesus turns to her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what's profound about this moment, I think, is that Martha is coming to Jesus in her mourning and in her grief with questions, with complaints, all the things. She's coming with answers or questions like, you know, kind of the why and why not and how could you and all these things, like we often do maybe in our experiences of grief, if we cry out to God in that space. God, why? How could you let this happen? Why did this have to happen? And as God often does in our moments, God will meet our why questions, our how questions, with a who answer. Why? You don't always get the why. 
answer. How could you? We don't always understand the mystery of how God's goodness and power goes together with the realities of evil and suffering in this world. But what we get is this incredibly powerful who answer. And Jesus gives it to Martha in this moment. I am the resurrection. What you're hoping for, what you want, this resurrection, I am that. What we get in our experiences of suffering, when we want to know how long, O oh Lord, we want to know why, O oh Lord, or we want to know how could you, God, all these things, God shows up again and again and again with the who answer to our why questions. I am with you. And the picture that we get of the heart of God displayed in the world is the picture of Christ crucified. God is not aloof, God is not detached, God is not uncaring or dispassionate. It's not that God is up there just not paying attention or that God is messing with us. None of those things are real. We can imagine any of those things to be real as we reason up from our circumstances and project our assumptions on God. But if we'll start with the, what God actually shows us about who he is in Jesus, what we find is that with all of those what questions, all of the why questions, all of the how long, oh Lord, the answer that we get is this I am with you. And it's an I am with you not only in the good parts, but in the dark corners, in the grief, in the sorrow, in the loss, in the broken relationships, in the dashed dreams, in the hole in your life that used to be occupied by a person. I am with you, says the Lord. And Jesus meets us in those moments. And he meets us with compassion. He meets us with knowledge. He meets us with tears. For Martha, he met her questions with an answer. Not to the ones she was asking, different answer. To Mary, he just weeps. See, Mary's not coming to him with questions. Mary's weeping, and Jesus joins her in her grief. Jesus shows up for Martha the way Martha needs him to show up. And Jesus shows up for Mary in the way that Mary needs Jesus to show up which is so helpful for us because I think there's something about attending to one another in our own mourning and grief and wanting to be helpful spiritual friends to one another who come alongside one another and you realize like different people need different things in different moments. And to show up helpfully requires knowledge, it requires companionship, it requires empathy and some skill. And Jesus is a master. And he attends to Martha and he attends to Mary. But then, then he really shows what he's all about because he attends to Lazarus. And the uniqueness of Jesus in this moment is such where you realize he's not just a good friend, but he's one through whom and in whom God raises the dead. That the very hope of the world resides in him 
He's an embodiment of the love and the life of God that cannot be snuffed out. It cannot be choked out. It cannot be crucified to extinction. It cannot be held captive by the grave. Jesus embodies the love and the life that cannot be overcome by death or any of the little deaths that precede the big death. Jesus is the resurrection, and the life. And he's not just that as a verbal answer. He's not just that as a friend who cries, but he's that in a way that can even attend to Lazarus in the grave, in the tomb, where he can actually bring him back. And what happens in this moment is a picture of God's future invading the present. This future that we read about in Revelation 21, this future where all life is set right, where life thrives, where joy is what pervades all things and persists, where every tear is wiped away, every sorrow is gone. But a future where all that is wrong is set right, or as it's been said, all the sad things come untrue this beautiful picture of God's creation actually becoming what God always intended it to be, a place that's ruled by love, a place where life lasts, a place where relationships are whole, a place where the systems are just, a place where the agriculture actually thrives and works. People don't go hungry. People are free and loved. And this is the future of God. And our calling as followers of Jesus is not only to know that hope, but to embody it together in the life we live with one another. That what we're doing here is practicing the future now. What we're doing here is bearing witness with our lives to that world, to that reality, to that moment, and anchoring our hope in the only one who can actually make it real, the one who can raise the dead. His name is Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Would you turn to page three? There's a quote here from Nick Walterstorff from his little book, Lament for a Son. Walterstorff is a philosopher who's written a bunch of academic stuff, but this book is really personal. Um, it's a book that he wrote over the course of a year after his son died. His son, was, his son was killed in a climbing accident when he was in his 20s. And this book is Wolterstorff's personal reflections over the course of a year. And it's so raw and it's so powerful. And I think I've reread this book more than I've reread any book. And I commend it to you. But there's something he says here that I think is profound. He says, not only is there a new day of peace coming, to those who mourn the absence of that day is disclosed already the heart of God. Upon entering the company of the suffering, they discern the anguish of God. By this anguish, they are comforted. Upon joining the crowd on the bench of mourning, they hear the sobs and see the tears of God. By these, they are consoled. If you've ever grieved and had someone join you in your grief, you know something of that comfort and that companionship of those who weep with those who weep. You know the sweetness and the power of that connection. Well, in Jesus, what we find is God doing that with us. That God who made all things, God who holds your life, God who raises the dead is willing to join you on your bench of mourning, to enter deeply into your pain, to feel it, 
to grieve it with you, to meet you when you need a word with a word, when you need tears with tears, and when you need resurrection with resurrection life, which is ultimately what every single one of us needs. It is the hope of the world. It is the hope of your life. It is the only hope that can bear the weight of your life and mine. And it's a hope we really only come to know in Jesus when we allow his comfort to meet us in our mourning. So that's the invitation for you and for me today and all the things, wherever you are, whatever it is you're grieving, whatever loss looms large in your life, may you know the comfort of God who meets you there. And as you come to know that comfort in your affliction, as we come to know God's comfort in our many afflictions, may we become a people who are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Would you pray with me? Our God, we thank you for your faithfulness and your love. Pray that you would make us a people of hope. We pray that you would meet us in our loss, meet us in our grief, meet us in our longings, and help us to know the sweetness of your company in those spaces, as well as the power of your resurrection life. God, buoy our souls with the great hope of the future that you have given us in your son, that you've planted in us by your spirit toward which you've called us to bear witness in our life together. May this be true of our church. May this be true of every one of us. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.